0: Help. You know, those can be some really welcome words. Even in small things, we have some chore to do which we could on our own do all by ourselves without any help. And we'd never want to trouble anyone over it. But if someone offers, well, we we know how much faster things will go and how much easier it will be. And working with others tends to be so much more pleasant. And we take them up on their offer, and we're generally glad for their help. But then there are times when it's not just a lightening of the load which uh, the assistance would bring us, but we're in real need. Of real help, we, we find ourselves in a place or a situation where either we can't uh, get by on our own; we need someone to come alongside of us, or the thing just isn't going to happen. Or maybe we can do it, but the task is so difficult and would consume all of our time and strength. and And when someone comes along and offers us to help us at times like that, uh, we feel like we've been rescued. It's a little embarrassing to tell you this, but I found myself in one of those latter kinds of situations. It was a, a number of years ago. My boys were little, and Adeline was just a baby. And our vacation was over, and we were returning to our home in Illinois. And we'd been traveling for a good number of hours when I took note of the gas gauge and realized we needed gasoline. But I just so happened to be in male mode at the moment. And if you're here, whether you're a man or a woman or a child, and you don't know what that is, consider yourself fortunate. But stopping didn't seem like the manly thing to do. And I had plenty of ground to cover, and I knew gas was cheaper in the next city, so I drove on, that is, until I ran out of gas. Now, you know, at that point, 20 a gallon would not have been too much to pay. And I stopped covering ground really quickly right then. I was in need of help. We were out in the middle of nowhere in the country, but there were a few houses on the other side of the fence which ran along the interstate. So I climbed the fence. I went from house to house, but nobody was home. Well, maybe there was at one house. I'm not sure. The biggest dog I had ever seen, I think, was sleeping in the driveway, and I was not about to find out if he was friendly or not, so I passed that house by. And there really was nothing for it. I had to walk to the nearest station, buy a container, buy some gasoline, and walk back. So back across the fence, I climbed and I told Ann what I was going to do. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but it was 10 miles to the nearest station. And I'm sure it was a longer 10 miles back. And I started walking. And my wife and children were sitting in the car with nowhere to go and nothing to do but wait for me that would take it a normal walking speed. you're looking at seven hours so i hadn't gotten 200 yards down the road when a car pulled up next to me with an elderly man and woman in it that's your family back there they said yes i replied what happened i ran out of gas you were in mail mode huh Yeah, I guess I was. Come on, we'll help you out. And so they did. And then they took me back to the car, which meant going a long way past it so they could get on the right side of the highway. And uh, they waited while I put the gas in the car, and they waited to see if the car would start, and then they went on their way. And I was so glad for their help. An interesting corollary to that story, someone from our community drove by while I was pouring the gas into the car of the deacons from our church how nice it was that his pastor was helping some poor dummy who had run out of gas. If only that were the case, and I had to admit the truth that I was the one who had run out of gas, to which the deacon said, I didn't know pastors ever got in mail, mode, But we did. I have to tell you, to this day, I was grateful for that help. In the big scheme of things, I I know it wasn't an earth-shattering issue, though it seemed big at the time. I I believe God sent that couple to rescue us on that day, and I'm doubly glad because of it. But there are things much more important than that, of course, things we need help with, things we cannot do by ourselves, things of of a spiritual nature, things of eternal consequence. And one of those things is prayer. I don't know if we're praying effectively that we ever do that completely on our own. I know we think we are most of the time, you know, when we're praying on our own. But Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so I suspect the Holy Spirit is right there next to us lending a hand whenever we pray. Or at least he's available for us at uh, such times. And we talked about that last time, you'll remember, uh, the Spirit helping us to pray. And we're not going to go over that all again. But if I could get Romans 8, uh, 26 and 27 up on a screen on either side of me, or you can turn in your Bibles and join me there. I'd like us to recall just briefly what we did see last time, some of it anyway. And that was the universal truth that the Spirit is there to help the believer whenever he or she needs help. And so we read in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That's a universal truth. You and I, no matter how strong we might be physically or emotionally or intellectually, no matter how well we might know the Bible or how long we've been Christians, we still need help to live out our faith. The Spirit's there to help us, and he helps us when we pray, especially when we're in a hard place, the entire context from last week—you remember—was all about being in a hard place. And so, our passage again: we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us through wordless groans. So, the Spirit's intercession for us on our behalf is full of heart and sympathetic to our burden, full of hope for us, and a uh, long for our freedom and glory and. The Full of real meaning, even if we may not understand that meaning. And now, and once you to know, he does, he helps us, he doesn't do it for us. So, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word Paul used there meant something like uh, pick up the other end of the log, <laughs> and the heavy end, actually. It meant to come alongside and take hold of something in order to help. And what makes this particularly wonderful is that the Spirit always gets what he prays for. Verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Bible teaches this, that when anyone prays in accordance with God's will, that person gets what they pray for. So how much more would that be true for the Holy Spirit? See, God knows what's inside of each one of us. He knows us inside and out, and he always does what's right. Now, that's a summary of some of what we talked about last week. And what I want to do now is take the rest of our time together to talk about prayer in general. Why do we pray, and how important is it? Does God listen? Does he answer? Why is it so important that the Spirit helps us in our prayers? in our scriptures today, and we'll try to understand this idea of prayer a little bit better. Now, the first thing I want is to see, well, I'm, I'm feeling a little cautious about telling you. See, I'm afraid when I say this that you'll stop listening. I'm afraid that you might think it confirms all your worst thoughts about prayer. But, but I know this. I know if you listen a little longer, you'll hear something. That will lighten the load and and change maybe the way that you think about prayer. Do you think that maybe, just possibly, you can stay with me all the way to the end? I mean, I have to start here, to be honest with you, but it's not where we're going to end. It's only the beginning. It's a foundation which we will build on. Nevertheless, for me to be true to the truth, here is where we're going to have to start. And the first thing to say about prayer is, it is a duty. In the Old Testament, Samuel and the Israelites had a a kind of a parting of the ways. Samuel had led the Israelites for close to 40 years, but they were clamoring for a king. And Samuel knew their heart wasn't in the right place. The Israelites came to see that also, and they asked Samuel to pray for them. And this is what he said to them in 1 Samuel twelve twenty three. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Samuel understood. He had a duty to pray for others. We know that too, I, I think, deep down inside. Even before we become Christians, I think somehow we know that we ought to pray for other people. I mean we're spiritual beings and each of us uh, has a body (laughs) but we're spiritual beings and I think we know in our heart of hearts that we ought to pray and that prayer is a duty. But the good news is it is so much more than just a duty. It is a privilege pray and it's a privilege from a number of different aspects. And the first thing to say about this and we're not going to spend much time here, we're going to be very brief since it's almost axiomatic, but God answers prayers. That's a privilege of the Christian that God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers and his answers are always the right answer. That's the point of our scripture reading that we read just a little bit ago. We were encouraged to pray, to ask and to seek and to knock and we're assured that he's going to answer. We will receive and we will find and the door will be open to us and God knows how to give good gifts to his people. There was an episode in the uh, history of uh, Dallas Seminary. Some of you are familiar with that seminary and it was not many years in the existence of the time and they were struggling financially they were on the verge of closing their doors very next day unless things changed payments had come due on a number of items and there simply wasn't any money so the leaders got together and they met to pray and to seek god's intervention and one of the men there prayed that very morning right then quoting the bible he said god You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Won't you sell some of it to meet our needs? Suddenly, someone knocked on the door. It was the secretary. She apologized for interrupting, but she thought it was important. She knew that they were praying about the financial situation, and a check had just been delivered for far more than they needed with a note, which read, God told me to sell some of my cattle and give money great story, isn't it? Before we even call, the Bible tells us God is answering our prayers. God answers our prayers. I mean, He doesn't answer them always the way we want. He doesn't always give us what we want for We don't know what that would mean, but He does. And so He knows our heart and he, He knows all things. and So He does what's best. Sometimes God says so. But when we realize that it is God who said no, it makes it somehow, I think, easier to accept. Because we trust Him, we love Him, and we know He's good. There are prayers which I have prayed, which God has said no to. And it really was very hard to hear that answer. The most recent one. business, uh, who've never poured themselves into one, don't really understand that, but it is so heavy, but I cannot tell you how glad I am today that I no longer have the weight of that business on me. Sometimes I think back to what those days were like, and I say to myself, oh, I'm so glad I don't have those worries anymore, and I thank you for that. See, God answers our prayers, and his answers are always the right answers. Next, we need to understand it's a privilege for people like us uh, to come before the God of the universe. Ephesians 3.12, Paul writes these words. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You and I, if we belong to Christ, can approach almighty God in freedom and confidence. And it's not because we're such good people or have done such good things. We know the truth, don't we? It's quite the opposite. We know we're sinners who would be lost without Jesus it's because of what he did for us on that cross that opens the door into the presence of God. Years ago I worked a part-time job at a Christian bookstore which shipped books all over the world and their practice at that place was that every morning just before the start of the business day, one of the full-time employees would take a turn and share some passage and, and offer prayer for the day. One of those times not in my usual I walked in while the devotions were just finishing, and Jim, one of the guys from the shipping department, who was leading the devotions that morning, was praying. And everyone in that room had their eyes closed and their heads bowed, except me. I just walked in. And I realized as I stood there and I looked around that I was was in a holy place as routine as it might have appeared to anyone else. And I looked at Jim and, and I knew he was a man who was praying. I knew there was nothing in him that the world would want. He was as plain as I am. And yet there he was talking to Almighty God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Neither kings nor queens presidents or prime ministers, not the wealthy, not the powerful, not the famous, have that right unless, like us, they belong to Christ. circumstances may work in such a way that you and I may brush up against uh, some great person in this world. We might meet a senator or even a president. I stood on the curb once outside of the White House, and President Bush went by in one of those black SUVs wasn't a double. <laughs> Some actor may come along and give you his or her autograph. CEO of your company might be at a meeting in which you attend, but most of us don't travel in those circles, and if we did, we'd be, we'd be really careful not to infringe on their space, and yet the Christian can have an audience with God any time, day or night, and most of the time for us, it's as comfortable as sitting around the kitchen table with family and friends. There's no rush to leave or even a desire to do so. That's one of the privileges of prayer for the child of God. We can enter His presence and we can pray. And then too, our prayers make a difference in the lives of other people, in in other events in our world. I mean, there are so many passages we could turn to in order to illustrate this truth. Um, passages in the Old Testaments, for example, about praying for rain, or in the New Testament, about praying for healing or salvation. But the one we're going to look at this morning, just to, just to give us a flavor of this truth, is Hebrews thirteen three. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You see, we pray for them because they're our brothers and sisters. And we pray for them also because it makes a difference in their lives. Now, to illustrate that, I, I want to read a passage in the Scripture, Acts chapter 12, 1-17. We, we are not going to turn there. I don't want you to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. I just want you to listen to it. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some of to the church intending to persecute. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw this, met the approval of the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between soldiers bound with two chains. Sentries stood in guard at the entrance, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up quick, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me me. Followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened uh, for them by itself, and they went through. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel. Left him. And then Peter came to himself, and he said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping they would happen. And when this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a serving girl named Rhoda, Went to answer the door and when she recognized Peter's voice she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door you're out of your mind they told her when she kept insisting it so they said well, it must be his angel but Peter kept knocking and when they opened the door they saw him and they were astonished and Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet described how the Lord had brought him out of prison this, and then he left for another place. Don't you love that story? I think that's so great. So people, Christians, were praying for Peter, and God delivers him, and how typical. I mean, we pray, and somehow, when God answers, we're surprised. It's okay, I guess. We're all learning and growing, aren't we? I mean, we might say that they didn't have very much faith. They hardly believed that Peter was there. But they had enough faith to pray. And it changed the outcome for Peter. The whole point of the text shows us that God answers our prayers and our prayers make a difference in the lives of others. Now look, I know some people, struggle with this idea that prayer makes a difference in the lives of others. They think That's, it's a good thing. Won't God do it anyway? And, and if it's not a good thing, God isn't going to do it even though we ask him to. And so they think up, end up thinking prayer can't make any difference. It can't change anything. Such thinking cripples our prayer life. The answer to that is to realize that since you and I are made in God's image, he has given us the Dignity to making a difference in our world, and we can see that easily enough in the physical realm. You can't make a flower grow, but you can plant them, and you can water them, you can pull weeds, and so what you do makes a difference to that garden. And, and you can understand that showing kindness to someone, a word of encouragement to the downcast, a loaf of bread to the hungry, to help someone in need, and those acts of kindness on your part matter. To them. People even come to faith because of them. Prayer is just like that. It's one more good way that God gives us to make a difference. And it is, in reality, the most powerful and the most pure way to do good to others. It is not limited by distance or circumstance or our knowledge. We can pray for people we don't know, whom we have never met. And what we've discovered on our Tuesday evening prayer meeting is we begin to love those people that we're praying for, even though we've never met them. We can pray even when people don't like us. Jesus told us to do that, to pray for our enemies. And you know what? They can't stop us from praying for them and doing good to them. It's not us. We understand that. It's God working through our prayers. That's his design. That's his gift to us to make a difference in the lives of the other people and the world around us. And it's powerful. And it's truly astonishing way which God answers prayers and he gets all of the glory. Now look, I've told you this before. It's become my custom to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for their faith whether in Muslim countries or Hindu areas or under communist regimes or in, in those places where people find themselves uh, in a place where people are now calling good, evil, and evil good. I don't know any of them personally. I don't know their names. I don't know their situations. My prayers are so small and the need is so great. And I have no power other than to, But I pray to an infinite God who knows all things and who has all power. And my prayer, so small, so seemingly insignificant, is purified and multiplied, and it makes a difference. It's one more thing that God uses to do good to people and to change our world. The privilege of prayer, that's our privilege. I mean, there are other things we can do and maybe should do, but prayer is essential to the kingdom of God. You know, well, quickly, a corollary to all this is that we, can, uh, we can pray for ourselves, and that too uh, makes a difference in our life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything. By the way, if you haven't memorized this, it's a good passage to memorize. Uh, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Our prayers make a difference in the lives of others, but they can make a difference in our own lives too. Now, there's one more thing that I need to say about prayer this morning. Um, There's a whole lot more that could be said, but I feel as though our thoughts would not be complete today without mentioning this. And I'm going to be brief. I have to say that it is indeed a privilege to pray for all the reasons we've listed. God answers our prayers We sinners that we are have a standing invitation to come into the presence of God in our prayers, make a difference in the lives of others in the world, around us, in our own lives. But the last thing is also a privilege. And that is the power which comes from praying with others. Matthew tells us in chapter 18, verses 19 and 20, Jesus speaking again, Truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There is more power when we pray together. I don't know how that works. We do know that Jesus is with us in a special way whenever we gather as his people, including and maybe especially when we pray. We can't strong-arm God, I mean, passage doesn't mean that we can get a group of our friends together so we can get whatever it is we want. There's an implicit and explicit uh, understanding that when we pray, we're seeking God's will, but there is power when we pray together. A number of years ago, when uh, we had a different pastor over our youth, uh, he took them as a group to a camp for a week in the summer and it wasn't a very good camp, not not because the facilities weren't nice, but because it was very legalistic. And our kids, unknown to us at the time, uh, weren't having a very good time. It was pretty awful for them. But we had not really very long before that started our Tuesday evening um, church prayer meeting, and there were 13 of us there that night praying. We were right over there in that area of the sanctuary prayed for our youth um, while they were away at camp. And we prayed for them. And we prayed for them. Every one of us that night prayed for them. And I was sitting here thinking, gosh, why all these prayers? Enough already. There are other things to pray about. And not one of us knew what was going on, but God did. And he was leading the prayer meeting that night, not me. And that very night, something... Happened at that camp that sounds strangely biblical. Our daughter was there, and she told us that that night they were in the plenary session. Everyone in the camp was together. When suddenly a strong wind blew the windows open in the room they were meeting in, and a different spirit came in. Our kids still didn't like the legalism, but they began to endure patiently. They ceased rebelling in their hearts and. Listen kindly, not agreeing, but hearing, and growing in their understanding of the faith the way it was meant to be practiced. The legalism made it uh, real practice of it so much more clear to them. You see, our prayers together, directed by God, make a difference, unknown to us at times, but it makes a difference in the lives of other people. There's real That, too, is a privilege. I think the more consistent you are in praying with others, the more you become aware of that power that's there. I'd like to give you one more personal example of how praying with others makes a difference. Um, In this case, it was just with one other person. This week has been a particularly hard week for me to pray. Uh, I don't know if I have ever experienced in my life quite such a hard time when it came to praying. Other things were going well, but I could not seem to make myself pray. I asked the Spirit to help me and things didn't seem to change, but they were about to because He always comes to our aid. Friday morning, two days ago, I was sitting on myself in the living room drinking my coffee and reading my Bible. With my wife right there alone side of me doing the same thing. And I told her what was happening in my life, how impossible it seemed for me to pray. And she listened, and then she said, do you want to pray about it together right now? And I didn't want to. I didn't know how I could, but I knew I should, and so I said yes. And then Ann prayed, and I entered into the prayer, but I said no something changed inside of me. I I don't know what it was, but I again found the freedom of prayer. I sure missed it. And I'm glad it's back. There's so much more we can say about prayer, but not today. Maybe another time. For now, it's enough to know God answers our prayers. People can come to him in his presence. Our prayers make a difference in the lives of other people, in our lives, in the world around us. And there is power in praying together. And the Spirit is there.